Hey Upsurge listeners, this is your host Teddy Ostro. As I mentioned in our last episode, we're bringing you a special rebroadcasting of a July 25th live stream we produced with our partners in these times and the Real News Network. I took a train down to Baltimore to co-host live in the Real News studio, and as I was hopping on the train, news of a tentative agreement between UPS and the Teamsters dropped. This made for a very interesting live stream, as you can imagine. You'll hear all about it and the quick takes from four Teamsters, but I just wanted to state that we recorded when only highlights of the TA were released. Since then, the full tentative contract language has become public, so perspectives may have changed and will continue to change as union members read, interpret, and eventually vote on their TA. You can also watch this live stream on YouTube. I'll put the link in the description. Keep in mind, this is not over. One of the largest single employer strikes in U.S. history is still possible. Welcome everyone to The Real News Network. My name is Maximilian Alvarez. I'm the editor-in-chief here at The Real News, and it's so great to have you all with us. And I'm Teddy Ostro, a labor journalist and host of the Upsurge podcast in partnership with In These Times and The Real News Network. For the past seven months, the eyes of labor have been squarely fixed on UPS. Led by the reform administration of their new president, Sean O'Brien, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters have been in the midst of a historic contract fight with United Parcel Service, a contract that covers 340,000 UPS workers across the country at a company that raked in over $100 billion in revenue in 2022 alone. That contract was set to expire at the end of this month, July 31st, and union locals have been holding practice picket lines this month to prepare for what would have been one of the largest strikes in this country's history on August 1st. Along with our colleagues and comrades at In These Times Magazine and the Great Upsurge podcast, we at The Real News have been exhaustively covering the UPS contract fight from the side of the workers for the past year. From package car drivers delivering packages to our doors to part-time warehouse workers loading those trucks. From working in deadly heat conditions to the sacrifices workers made during a world-changing pandemic. From two-tier employment to forced overtime and company surveillance. We have tried to give y'all and the rest of our audience a deep, textured, rank-and-file view of what workers at UPS are going through what key issues they have been prepared to strike over, and why this contract fight is so significant for them, for their families, for the Teamsters, and for the labor movement. Now, we originally planned this live stream as our final chance to update our audience on the state of the contract negotiations and to let y'all know what a strike involving 340,000 UPSers would look like and how you could show support. But then, of course, around noon today, we got the bombshell news that the Teamsters Negotiating Committee and UPS have reached a tentative agreement. I want to be very clear about something. This is a tentative agreement. We don't even know the precise language of the agreement, and ultimately, it will be up to the union membership to decide over the next month whether or not to accept the agreement, and whether a strike at UPS is still on the table. 
So we know you all have a lot of questions about the tentative agreement. Um, but I do want to stress that there's only so much that we know about the tentative agreement right now. So we're going to try to give y'all some updates on that here at the top of this live stream. And then we're going to go to our incredible panel of UPSers who, amidst everything, have made time to join us on the live stream tonight. But I guess before we get there, Teddy, first of all, welcome to the Real News Network here in Baltimore, brother. It's been great working with you from afar over the past year. And you and Ruby Walsh have been really, really doing the work and produce an incredible podcast series, The Upsurge, where you have been covering this contract fight uh, for the past year. Right? And if folks haven't already, I strongly urge that if you want to understand uh, this potential strike, the contract fight, uh, what it means for the Teamsters, the labor movement, UPS and the logistics industry, so on and so forth, you should definitely go listen to the upsurge along with the coverage we've done on my podcast, Working People, The Real News, In These Times, so on and so forth. But I wanted to ask Teddy, like here at the top before we get to our panel, since you've been there on the ground covering this throughout the year, if you could just first kind of run us through what we do know about the tentative agreement that dropped earlier today, uh, or the news about the tentative agreement that dropped earlier today. So let's just kind of like try to give people a, an update on what we know right now uh, and what's going to happen now. Um, but I also wanted to ask if you could just take a couple minutes to sort of talk about like like frame this conversation for us. Like, what have you learned covering this contract fight about UPS, the Teamsters, and where this contract fight sits in the broader labor movement? Right. Well, thanks for having me on, Max. Uh, pleasure. It's been great working with you guys in these times. But yeah, well, it's been a whirlwind today, I'm sure, for our panelists as well, for us. Hopped on the train to Baltimore here, um, and the news dropped of this tentative agreement. And Right, we have the highlights right now, just to start with that. Uh, we don't have the contract language. We're going to have to wait for that. Uh, but what we're looking at is contract negotiations restarted today after a three-week hiatus. They broke down on July 5th, specifically on part-time wages, part-timers comprising roughly about 60% of the workforce. Um, so what do we do know now? A ton of these issues that UPSers have been dealing with for a long time, not just the past year, not just the past five, but many, um, such as forced overtime, uh, dealing with extreme heat, dealing with uh, lackluster wages, um, right? Some of these have been addressed up to that point, but really we were waiting on these economic items. Now we have some of the details, general wage increases we've seen. It's going to be $750 over the course of this five-year contract. Um, specifically for part-timers, we're seeing that they're going to be bumped up from their uh, starting wage of $1620 right now. It was $1550 recently up to 21. We're also going to see what's what are called catch-up raises or longevity raises for uh, part-timers who have been at the company a long time and, and haven't been adequately rewarded for what they have offered. So We've also heard a little bit of news about the personal vehicle drivers. These are the gig workers at UPS that have been a big part of the conversation for the past uh, five years and even longer. Um, it looks like those are going to be limited. Uh, Part-timers are going to get priority for getting those jobs. So uh, they're not completely gone, just a note. But that's just like some of the basics. Um, to you know, uh, lean back for a second and look over the past year, yeah, you know, 
we're seeing a lot of coverage of this right now in mainstream media and leading up to it. And we're seeing words like, you know, a looming strike, all of the economic damage that's going to be done of uh, this potential strike, which still may happen. Right. Um, but at the upsurge, something that we learned from places like uh, The Real News, which has been covering the railroad workers last year, we saw the same language of emphasizing people as consumers and the damage that could be done by labor action. Well, we actually wanted to look at it at a different light. We wanted to cover it from uh, UPSers angle, from the Teamsters angle, from the angle of the working class. And we're, that's why this is such an exciting live stream today, right? Because we're having UPSers on today to talk about this really historic moment rather than a supply chain management <laughs> analyst, right? Rather than the CEO of Bank of America. Yeah, yeah right. Um, <laughs> it's just, I'm excited to talk to these folks. And I've been talking to them for like 10 months, me and Ruby Walsh, uh, Ruby Walsh and I, my co-producer, um, we've been trying to unpeel this onion that is incredibly important, right? This UPS contract campaign. It's important for UPSers who have been shafted for decades upon decades, uh, not seeing their children at, in the morning or at night because they're dealing with forced overtime, dealing with uh, death and heat stroke, um, other extreme weather, right? Part, uh, lackluster wages such that, you know, we have tons and tons of people who are literally in poverty, have to have multiple jobs, live in their cars, live in shelters, um, dealing with also the deterioration of these very good jobs often, um, turning them into gig work, harassment, um, and the two-tier of drivers, which is we're dealing with tiers across the economy, right? So this is important for UPSers, but those are all issues, right, that are important for the broader labor movement for the broader working class. Um, and so this fight of 340,000 people, because they're people, they're workers, definitionally in every single you know zip code in the country, these are issues that if they win, if they fight and they win, um, which they, you know, looking at what the highlights are, some, some folks may consider that they've already won. This will show the working class, this will show other unions, other workers, that if you fight, if you make a, a credible strike threat, then you can win. Hmm. And this is really important uh, for the Teamsters Union, which, like many other unions, fell into major complacency over the past 25 years, right? And um, through the valiant efforts of a reform movement within the union, Teamsters for a Democratic Union, which brought democracy, helped bring democracy to this union in 1989, um, which helped bring 185,000 uh, UPS workers out on strike in 1997, and which helped change the leadership in 2021 of the Teamsters Union, which set up this chance to have an unprecedented contract campaign today. Uh, yeah, this this uh, took an incredible amount of organizing and it's, it's, a, it's an institutional story of the Teamsters. So that's what we've been trying to cover. This is also a story of the economy, the logistics industry. Um, over the past few years, we've seen a real boom in e-commerce and that meant, that meant a boom in the work and then the struggles of UPS workers, many of whom have died. So this is an onion that really just you keep peeling back and peeling back. And I've learned a tremendous amount. I've learned a tremendous amount primarily from UPS workers, from Teamsters. Um, and that's what we've tried to do, um, right? And so why I'm so excited to talk to these folks, you know, Tony Rosario is on here. I wanted to speak to him uh, in this podcast, hopefully here about 1997, the last time UPSers went on strike. Mm. I want to hear about the the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, the reform movement of which he's a part. Um, many of these folks are a part of on this live stream. I wanted to hear from part-timers um, like LB, who's on this stream, to, 
you know, uh, hear about uh, what basically broke down negotiations on July 5th um, and, you know, may still be an important factor to consider uh, when uh, workers decide either to vote this up or vote this down. I wanted to hear about the two-tier driver system whereby, uh, you know, the uh, worker second generation of uh, drivers are now making less pay um, and less protections that appears to be in a TA, it has been abolished. So we'll talk about that as well as Amazon organizing because it was always the goal to win a kick-ass UPS contract and then parlay that into our organizing Amazon, which is a threat to the working class. So that's, we've got a huge, we've got a great lineup and yeah, I'm excited to talk to them because I've been talking to the UPSers, Teamsters for 10 months. You have as well. Um, and we're learning a lot. Yeah, man. I mean, like, there's there's a lot to unpack here, and uh, we've got a killer panel, and so we're gonna stop teasing you guys with, and we're gonna we're gonna go to that panel in just one second. But I guess like to to sort of just quickly uh, recap what Teddy said, because there was a lot of great stuff there, and and we will post for folks who are watching this live in the live chat. There are some resources like a, a, a guide that was put out by TDU, just sort of breaking down what we know of the current updates mm -hmm. from the ten agreement uh, with uh, with a little more specifics on say the questions of pay that Teddy mentioned and that I know some of y'all are asking but that that uh, raise for part-timers to $21 an hour that is effective immediately upon ratification correct yes yeah, so basically there's an immediate raise mm -hmm. across the board of 275 um, and that you know, some of these workers are making sixteen twenty. So two seventy five plus sixteen twenty doesn't amount to twenty one. Mm. Um, those folks who are making below will immediately go to twenty one. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize, you know, um, there's a lot of reactions. This is the first, you know, this is, it's been hours since these just highlights came out, not contract language. There are folks who are tentatively optimistic about this tentative agreement, and there are folks who are out, outwardly disappointed and already maybe have decided they want to vote no. We don't know which of those opinions are going to boil to the top come August 3rd when voting will start on this tentative, tentative agreement. It will end on August 22nd. The, what will happen going forward right now is basically representatives from the 176 UPS locals across the country, they will decide, they'll review the tentative agreement, and they will either recommend it or not uh, to their membership, at which point this voting, uh, this voting system will start. Got it. Good. So that was the last like kind of thing I wanted to emphasize for people is that there's a process that's going to play out here over the next month. Um, so definitely keep an eye out when voting begins in the beginning of August and August 22nd is when we will know uh, how the membership uh, feels about this current tentative agreement. And the, the last thing I just wanted to emphasize um, and underscore what you said, which is really important, something that the great journalist Luis Feliz Leon has also been pointing out, is that a lot of the concessions that you, that the Teamsters got from UPS over this contract fight, they got, you know, before now, right? And, like, and the membership has, I think, been pivotal for that. The practice picket lines and the show of strength, the unity, the willingness to fight, the credible, the credibility of the strike threat has been, I think, essential for securing those key concessions from UPS, like air conditioning, 
in new cars after January 1st, 2024. Uh, but at least air conditioning, that's a, that's a step in the goddamn right direction, pardon my French. The elimination of two-tier, like you said, uh, on the driver's side, that is huge because so many of the strikes that we have seen from workers and unions in recent years has been focused on the two-tier or multi-tier system when what we're essentially talking about is unequal pay for equal work, right? And so if the Teamsters have really fired back a, you know, like critical shot against corporate America on the question of tiers, there's going to be a lot of folks at other shops in other industries who see that as, I think, the rallying cry that it is open season on two-tier and we need to go for the jugular on that. And so that is something worth celebrating, and we got a lot more to unpack. But just to give you guys a sense of, again, like what was in the back of the minds of UPS executives at the bargaining table what they were thinking of and what they were seeing from the rank and file around the country. We actually compiled a little uh, a montage here of some videos from practice picket lines uh, around the country. And this is thanks to Teddy and Natty at In These Times. Thank you both for putting that together for us. So, uh, Dave, um, back in the Real News studios, I wonder if we can queue up that montage of practice picket lines just to give people a sense of the energy that we've been feeling from the rank and file over the past month as we've been creeping closer towards the expiration of the current contract. August 1! August 1! August 1! When you're a part-timer, you're required to work eight, nine, ten hours a day on top of most part-timers have to carry two jobs to make a living. Uh, a stronger contract would mean just a better life, be able to spend more quality time with my family and not trying to stack a lot of hours just to make ends meet. Who got the power? We got the power. Who got the power? We have your back. We have your back. And we say we, we mean the city has your back, this country has your back, everyday people have your back because you're not just fighting for yourselves. You are fighting to raise the standard for all working people in this country. That's what this fight is about. We are practice picketing right now to, to send a message to the company. And that message is simple. Who are we? We are the Teamsters, strongest labor union in the country. What do we want? We want a fair contract that rewards its members for its sweat equity and the billions of dollars that it made this country. If we don't get it, well, we're gonna be forced to do what we've done before and that's shut this place down. I know some guys that are 30 years old. Their knees are, their knees are going. $13 billion this company made last year and they wanna cry poverty. We showed up every day. We got the job done. We delivered for America. We're going to send a message to UPS that enough's enough. No more people are dying in these trucks because it's too damn hot. UPS knows what they have to do to fix this. If they don't, it's not us striking them, it's them putting themselves on strike. If you're thinking about organizing, then that means you know you must do it. At the end of the day, we're not alone. 
if we don't stand up for ourselves, no one will stand up for us. Okay? No one will stand up for us. You all are the essential ingredient. Your courage is the essential ingredient to this. I'm willing to strike to win dignity in my workplace. I'm ready to strike if necessary. I believe the sacrifice is needed. The sacrifice will be done, will be had, and it will be rewarded. All right, I'm fired up. So let's get to our incredible panel, right? Um, and again, just thank you all so much for making time to join us today on this live stream amidst all that's going on right now. I'm sure your phones are blowing up. There's a lot going on, so we really, really appreciate you making time for this. Uh, we got about an hour and 10 minutes here to sort of dig into all we want to dig into today. And I want to go around the table just in, you know, on my show, Working People, where I've interviewed a number of amazing UPSers uh, in recent years. Um, you know, we get to take our time and get to know more about each person, how they came to be the people they are, do the work that they do, so on and so forth. So I want to see if we can do like a kind of condensed version of that to introduce y'all to our great uh, audience here. So I want to go around. I'm going to start with Tony, and we'll go to LB, Richard, and Patrick. Um, I want to ask if you could introduce yourself to our Real News viewers and listeners. Um, and if you could just, A, maybe give like just some of your kind of, you know, gut impressions or reactions to the TA. Again, I don't want to ask anyone to talk about anything that, uh, or speculate on anything when we don't have the details on, but what your impressions are of the news that we have as of today. And also, if you could say a little bit about what this contract fight has looked like in your life. You know, like, how have the issues that have been central to this contract fight and that y'all have been prepared to strike over like, what does that look like on your day-to-day -day level or on the day-to-day -day level of the members that you represent? So, Tony, why don't we start with you? Introduce yourself, give us your first impressions of the TA, and tell us a little bit more about what the past year has really looked like through your eyes. Well, the past year has been pretty exciting. I think everybody's been feeling it. There've been There's been a movement growing across the country, not just with UPS, with other um, places like Starbucks, Amazon workers, you know, Trader Joe's. Chipotle. I mean, everybody can see it now. You got the uh, the writers and the actors out there. Um, it's it's been a, a pretty strong buildup over a year. But particularly in UPS, we started uh, uh, out in August. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Let me not just jump right into that. Hi, I'm Antonio Rosario. <laughs> let me start. Hi, I'm, I'm, to I'm Tony, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people that know me as Tony. Uh, Tony Rosario, Teamsters Local 804. I am now an organizer uh, for the IB uh, the IBT Amazon division. Um, but, you know, I was a rank and filer my whole life. I've only been out of the truck maybe less than a less than a year. Uh, well, a little more than a year than I went inside as a clerk in the warehouse. I started in 1994 at UPS as a young, uh, I, I believe I was 19 going on 20. Uh, my father had just passed away. My mother was uh, falling behind on bills for the house, and I was lucky to land this union job that was able that I was able to actually help my mother keep the house. Um, and uh, it meant a lot to me uh, back then. And, you know, as a part-timer back then, we were making 5 or $6 above minimum wage. So you were able to make, a, I mean, it wasn't amazing, but it was way better than what's happening today. 
um, which is why we were relying on some serious increases for the workers, especially the part-time workers. Um, I think some of the reactions of what's going on, uh, there are a lot of people that are always, you're not going to make everybody happy. Let's just let's just say that right off the back. We don't have, we haven't seen the language in front of us, so not many of us are jumping to make a decision right away. From what I've seen, though, um, and so far with all the big gains and all, all the big gains and all the all the things you've heard that we won over the last few weeks, you know, it does make a strong case for a yes vote. Um, again, we still have to make the check out the language to you know make sure everything is good. What people have been downplaying a little, um, I feel, is like the creation of about seventy five hundred new full time jobs. Um, I know when I was on strike in ninety seven, a bunch of uh, jobs were created. So I believe they're going to have like seventy five thousand new twenty two point three jobs, if I'm not mistaken. These are for workers that want to go full time that were only working part time that maybe can't drive a truck. Some of them seventy five hundred, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's huge that instead of like, you know, giving into two tier jobs, we actually took one back. That, that's that I, I don't remember in my 29 years as a UPS worker ever seeing any language that was given in a contract taken back. I could be mistaken, but I don't remember that ever happening. So I think removing the 22-4 was really huge, um, significant rate uh, pay increases. But it wasn't just about the salary. Um, you mentioned about air conditioning in the vehicles. There was a, you know, I, I myself, I'm sure Richard and and LB and and Pat. I'm not sure how long he's been on the job, but I mean, to work in those excruciating days of heat, where you know workers were actually dying out there, and this isn't a joke. Like people died. I mean, everybody knows of Esteban Chavez in Palmdale, California, recently, but people forget that you know people have been dying all through time. Like uh, you can go back a few years. A woman in Georgia. Uh, back a year or two right before the pandemic, I believe someone in Texas, like people have been dying for for years. It's just not, never been really been publicized. So it's about time we get some air conditioning. And I get that it's going to take some time to get all the trucks fitted and that it's going to be a while. But I don't think anybody should have to endure what we had to endure. So it's nice to see the change. I mean, I was there when we first started getting power steering and I was happy to drive a truck that I could actually turn the wheel without hurting my arms. <laughs> I mean, every driver back then had Popeye arms just because they were pulling that steering wheel and they were like, ugh. I mean, I remember if you guys can go back when the truck steps were really high and you had a we had a fight to get the low step vehicles. I mean, these all of this took time. And over years, they, you know, uh, brought the trucks with lower steps, brought in new trucks with power steering and, of course, going from standard to automatic transmission. These are all things that took time. Air conditioning for me. It's got to be a big win for me because I remember going through the waiting for the power steering truck and the and the and the automatic, you know, and the hot and the lower steps. These were things we look forward to when we want something. So to have air conditioning, even if it's over uh, the next years and it takes time for UPS to retrofit all of them, that's fine. But at the end of the day, they're still going to be putting fans in all the vehicles, which is some help. And they're supposed to be uh, putting in some type of. Uh, uh, mechanism in the back that's going to let some of the air out. I'm not sure of the ventilation system, but these are things I heard, you know, uh, from reading and, and talking to other folks. Um, so it's a to, to me, you know, the gains that we uh, Martin Luther King Day is a holiday. If you mention that, um, no more excessive overtime, especially in places where people were working six days a week. I mean, we got some big things here and we got some solid raises. So it's just a matter of looking at the language, making sure it's put together properly. You know, sometimes one word can change the whole outcome of a sentence. Um, so we have to be very careful. But um, 
I mean, all in all, I have to say, me personally, as a Teamster who's been around for 29 years, and I've been through the 20 some odd years of Hoffa and concessions after concessions, it feels good for me to say, you know, we finally got a contract that I can say there were some major gains made, not just like hoping that we keep what we have and maybe gain a little something. No, we made some significant gains. And I'm really, you know, it makes me proud to be a Teamster again, just to, 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 to know that there's a lot of people that feel that way. I mean, just the fighting alone and the and the practice picketing and the rallies that we had and the, the very, very uh, uh, passionate meetings in the parking lots and talking to part-timers, just the engagement on the part-timers alone has been a big part of this. You know, being able to talk to part-timers and tell them, hey, we're fighting for you guys, it made a big difference. And I feel like moving forward, even past the contract, we're going to get a lot more part-timer engagement moving forward. And when you mentioned Amazon workers, I mean, even if uh, at the this contract, by the end of this contract, everybody's going to be well making over what most Amazon employees make. And that's including pension and benefits, which Amazon workers are either paying into their benefits, way too much money. And um, <laughs> you pension, there's, it's not even spoken of. So, you know, it, it's it's some really big, significant gains. Uh, I'm excited. I, I feel like that 22-year-old kid all over again, only I didn't get a chance to hit the picket line. But, you know, it's still not over. They still got to send it to the membership for a vote. We still got to sign on it. You know, um, nothing happens and nothing's certain until it's set in stone, and there's nothing set in stone as of right now. But, yeah, I'm sorry if that was a bit long-winded, but Nah, brother, that was great. I appreciate it. And and I just wanted to hop in just to remind uh, the rest of our panelists that we're going to go LB next, Richard Patrick. I'm going to shut up so when when um you know, you feel ready to kind of hop in after the next person finishes talking, go for it. But I I also just wanted to really underline something for people watching and listening, especially if you are not part of the Teamsters, if you don't work at UPS, really kind of think about what those details that Tony was talking about mean for the working lives of our brothers brothers and sisters and siblings across the country, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you will hear workers talk about, uh, even just like the, the, the height of the step getting into those trucks. My tío, Tío Miguel, was a teamster all his life. He's had like three knee replacements because of all of climbing up and down in these like massive cabs. I remember him complaining about that. So that's not a small thing, but to people maybe on the outside, when they hear that, they may think, well, that seems like a minor thing, right? So again, really listen to like what these details mean in the working lives of UPSers. And also, if you have more questions about the details, a reminder again, we have been sharing in the live chat some additional links where you can can get uh, uh, some more of those fine-grained details. But, LB, I want to bring you in here. As a part-timer, you know, a lot has really, really centered on what you all are going through and what these pay raises are going to mean, uh, the, the TA is going to mean for, for you and your fellow part-timers at UPS. So, yeah, can you can you talk us through, like, first uh, introduce yourself to the great live stream viewers and listeners. Um, Give us your initial reactions to the TA uh, and talk to us a little more about uh, your experience throughout this contract fight and what it has looked like on the ground for you. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, first off, I just want to say thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, my name's Elby Lieb. Uh, I've been at UPS for 27 years, except for a short stint that I had when I left for about four years to be in the military. Um, and I'm a part-timer. I load trucks. Uh, I do have a shuttle run that I do one day of the week. Um, it's kind of funny when you were talking about your uncle, you know, about the knee injury. Well, I shouldn't say funny, but the knee injuries. But I remember at one point in time, it was like UPS hard hardly argued with you if you said I had I had a hernia I've had how many injuries that you stitches in my head and stuff and like they would just oh yeah okay yeah 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 we know you know because I understood how how difficult it was and the and the injuries that could occur there um now they're a little bit more stringent about it because it's money out the door for them so but anyhow um so yeah I've been I've been loading trucks like I said about 27 years um I started up in Illinois um near Chicago and then I transferred down to Bloomington, Indiana and I've been down here um, since then and that was in 2000. So um, let's see, um, first impressions of the con of the TA I should say. Um, as a part-timer and hearing voices of other part-timers I know there was a lot of kind of feelings behind the $25 an hour. Um, people didn't really know what what the, the IBT was asking for. Was it going to be $20, $25 an hour? Um, where I live in a small college town in South Central Indiana, um, if I go to my if I go to my members, my, the the preloaders I work with, and I tell them like, hey, you know, they're they're paying people twenty one dollars when they when they get hired, and it's going to go up to uh, when was it twenty three seventy five? Uh, I don't know if it's with your thirty working days. We need to see the language on that, how that all works. Uh, the devil's in the details. Um, I know that they're going to be fairly impressed. I think that it might be something that would um, make employees or at least part-timers kind of willing to stick it out. Um, in other areas, I don't think that that's going to carry the weight. You know, um, in cities, so there's a lot of centers and hubs in larger cities, obviously. Um, Twenty three seventy five. Is that going to cut it for some folks? I don't know. You know, um, possibly an avenue looking at um, the twenty two three jobs, which are inside combo jobs, because um, a lot of people might not want to go into driving. Uh, those might be something that, might, uh, if part timers see that as an avenue, that that might be something that they would uh, consider a positive. It depends. A lot of people. There's some people are part timers because that's all there is, and there's other people that are part timers because that works for them uh and for you know the, the 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 situation they end up in though is that um they're trying to do that part-time job because of the benefits and maybe they have children at home that they have to care for or something and making it at that the the wages that we've had currently don't quite cut it so that's been kind of an issue that's why that 25 dollars an hour i think a lot of people were kind of holding on to and we talked about kind of uh amazon um um, organizing Amazon, coming in and saying like, hey, you know, Teamsters got this for our part-timers, which are the closest proximity of in-house uh, warehouse workers in relationship to Amazon warehouse workers that the Teamsters kind of have, I think. Um, I think that would have been a, a huge win. So um, what we got, you know, if, if in 30 days, 30 working days, you end up at 2375 and that by the end of the contract, you're over $25 an hour, um, I think is a good thing. I think a lot of folks were looking at this as like a very pivotal moment and that we should get all that we want right now. 
if you look back it up, like kind of what uh, Antonio was saying, you know, like kind of incremental, right? Um, then this is this is significant, I think. Um, I would like to see the TA before I, I, I came off as far as, you know, would I vote yes or no on it, uh, of course. Um, there is issues, of course. It's not just economics, conditions in the building, so it's not just the trucks. Um, fans and, and environmental controls inside the buildings when it gets hot. Um, that would be nice, making sure that there's a consistency from facility to facility in that regards. Um, also, uh, part-timer, long-term, part-timer pensions, right? Um, yes, it's great to get those high wages for the people that are just starting out. For me, like I said, I've been 27 years. I tell people if I could afford it, I would retire right now. Um, I'm kind of looking to see like if I retire at 30 years, I'll get $2,000 a month, which depending on where you live, that's after, after 30 years of employment, should it be more considering the hours that I've put in? A lot of times part-timers are working six days a week. So um, those are some of my issues. Also, um, I think a big one I haven't really seen about is uh, grievances, um, especially we know with the full-time drivers, uh, the nine fives, our, our center had a plethora of nine five grievances, which are um, having a limit to their day, um, not being that excessive overtime, right? And it takes a long time to process those. I would like to see um, penalties for uh, timeliness and grievance uh, resolution. Um, I didn't see any language in that regard. Um, and this is all grievances, of course, because um, we need to be able to enforce this contract. And if we're kind of filing the grievances and doing that part, how do we get the company to the table to resolve them, right? So um, those are the types of things that I see. So, um, but overall, I feel positive about it. I mean, it is a huge thing from where we were. By the end of this contract, like for me, I'd be close to $40 an hour. I make um, $33.29 an hour right now. I've taken a long time to get there though. And if I wasn't a disabled veteran, I don't know if I could make it on just that wage alone. So um, so those are kind of the issues out there. Hopefully that kind of gives people information about part-timer issues. And um, I'm seeing a lot of folks, part-time folks that aren't, like I said, aren't keen on this because of that 25 and then some other issues, catch-up raises and stuff for long-term part-timers. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how it hashes out uh, when the language comes out. I'll see what my local says as far as their recommendation, and then we'll go from there. So anyhow, that's all I got. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, LP. Richard, let's go to you. Well, again, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so my name is Richard Hooker, Jr. I am the Secretary Treasurer and Principal Officer of Teamsters Local 623 in Philadelphia. Uh, um, when we first saw the TA, you know, it looks, you know, uh, on face value, we we do have a lot more than what we had before. Um, but as Tony and LB mentioned, the devil is in the details. Um, being in this job that I've, I've been in for the last four years, language is, is, is so, so important. There's a difference between shall and up to, um, have the ability to and will. Those are two different things. One is a uncertainty. One is a certainty. And we have to make sure that there is some certainty in the language because it's, it's fine and good to have a lot of money. But then um, if you turn the page and then there's something totally opposite of what you thought you had, that's going to be a problem. Um, I think a lot of us that's been here 
for some time. We know that we've always heard this is the best contract in history. Then the next contract is the best contract in history. Only to find out that it's really um, the worst contract in history. I'm not saying that this is what this is going to be, but I'm always going to be under the impression since of the pattern of these contracts to always wait until I open up the whole book and read it to make sure that it's the best contract in history. Um, I've already seen some complaints from part part timers and full timers. The progression, we don't know if the progression has increased or has it decreased. Uh, we don't know anything about the the pensions. Uh, it's a lot of things we don't know. Um, and these things that we don't know are very important to uh, our our members and their families. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting that information so we can have a better understanding of the TA. Um, so, but again, though, when you look at it from face value, MLK Day, um, increase in starting wages, um, a big upfront wage, $7.50 over the life of the contract. I don't think I've ever seen that since I've been here. I've been here for 24 years. I haven't seen a wage increase that large over that period of time. So that is a good thing. Uh, but also, again, I'm always going to lean to the language especially in this job language means and i'm going to say this and i hope i don't make people upset but in my line of work the language means more than the money it's it just it's just that simple the company will always try to manipulate the gray areas to, to to on their side so it doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you have an hour if that language is, is jacked up then it doesn't matter what your check says. So um, we're looking to find out the language. I'm, I'm really concerned about what we don't know. I'm, I'm good that we got some good improvements, but I am very concerned of what we don't know because our members have a lot of questions. And like you said, throughout this program, we know your phone's been blowing up, man. It hasn't stopped. Um, text messages, phone calls, uh, DMs, hooking what's up with the progression, what's up with the... Uh, the uh, pension, we didn't even hear anything. Uh, what's up with the health care? Uh, uh, a lot of people have a lot of concerns, and hopefully it will be addressed. And I think they said the 31st, I believe I read um, that the 31st, they're going to start putting the language out. Um, so, uh, again, reach out to your local. Stay on top of your local, man. Keep bugging your, your BAs to get that information to you because it is very important that we find out the end language. Because again, I'm gonna say it again before uh, we turn it over to Patrick. And I don't wanna, I don't mean no harm, but the language is more important than the money. Please understand that it is very important, right? UPS can't manipulate how much you get paid an hour, but they can manipulate that language if it's not, if it's not ironclad. So um, that's my take on it. Um, so turn it over back to uh, Teddy. I'll pass it on to Patrick. Thanks, Richard. I'd like to. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'd like to thank Teddy and Max for the opportunity for being here as well. Uh, my name is Patrick Leonard. I am a 22-4 UPS driver. Uh, I actually was pulled out for the summer as a field rep for my local local 251 in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, one of our business agents is on the National Negotiating Committee, and I am also an Amazon organizer 
um, uh, which is, you know, the next big fight that's ahead of us. Uh, I think I agree uh, in a lot of ways with uh, my other panelists here and in the fact that, you know, face value, this, this contract looks pretty great. You know, there's a lot of gains in a lot of areas. Uh, you know, the TAs came out non-economically uh, quite some time ago, and, you know, we did see a lot of gains there as well, and everybody was – you know, anticipating, you know, the wages to be a, a, a pretty, pretty big fight, uh, which it was. And I think a lot of people as well thought it was going to come down to the 11th hour. Uh, and we were surprised that they came to an agreement today um, kind of so quickly in the morning. Uh, but as my experience as a, as a 22-4, uh, I am what uh, in my local everybody calls a COVID baby or a COVID kid. Uh, the experience has been, uh, you know, pretty crazy. You know, this past year alone, we had, uh, every 22-4 in our building, there was 98 22-4s in our building. They were all laid off. They were on a soft layoff. And as a combo driver, we had the option to work inside the building and for the COVID babies like myself, not having part-time experience before going on the road, it, it was eye-opening for a lot of us to see what the part-timers actually went through to actually do the job that the part-timers do day in, day out, uh, experience the their shifts, their split shifts, you know, working in the morning and then coming back in the afternoon or working in the afternoon and coming back in the evening or overnight, you know, uh, and understanding, uh, you know, the hardships in that and, and, you know, the lack of quality of life for a lot of the part-timers because of uh, the crazy schedule that they do work. Uh being laid off and pushed inside uh, for the 22 fours in our building uh, was detrimental to the part-timers because for every full-time 22 four that was pushed inside, two part-timers had to take a hard layoff and they were out on the street. So like I said, 98 22 fours were laid off in our building. That means almost 200 uh, part-timers were laid off in our building, uh, which was, which was horrible to see. Uh, but, you know, we were recalled on Saturdays, the 22-4s from inside the building, and we went back on road, and that was the worst part about it. You know, we were forced into four, 13, 14-hour days every single Saturday. They pushed more and more work on us, and as the 22-4, like was said earlier, uh, you know, we make nearly half the money that an RPCD or a regular package car driver makes. And, you know, we had senior guys coming to the 22 fours and saying how unfair it was for us to not make the same amount of money to do the same exact job and and work even longer hours because we were cheaper labor and we saw the company take advantage of that you know outright over and over and over again uh and you know that was a big for me personally you know getting rid of the two-tier wage system in the in the 22 four was was a huge gain but as all the other panelists said as well i i do have other specific things in the contract that I'd like to see the language on uh, surrounding harassment, surrounding, you know, uh, nine, five uh, grievances and, and what that language is going to look at. And uh, in MRA language, you know, the biggest, the, the biggest issue has the biggest hang up for negotiations has been the part-time wages, but the, the company is, you know, uh, used and abused the uh, market rate adjustment, the MRA. And, you know, they, can bump your pay up at any time, but they can also pull that rug out from underneath you at any time as well. So I'd like to see what the language really has to say about that and uh, how that's going to impact the, the part-timers and, and um, you know, going forward. Uh, that, that market rate adjustment, I think, was one of the biggest hangups as well because, uh, you know, as I've said earlier too, that other parts of the, there's different 
different parts of the country all around the all around the uh, all around the country they uh you know there are some people that are making a higher mra than others you know we have places out in you know uh, in seattle or in new york or in uh in san francisco that are making close to 40 dollars an hour as a part-timer so the 25 dollars an hour sounded great but for them if they pull the mra away and they started at 25 dollars an hour well now you're knocked down and you're losing a lot so uh like i said i mean i think there's a lot that we did gain but the language being cleared up uh and, and getting our eyes on it to to whether we're going to vote yes or no is, is going to be very important uh the, the leverage that we had and, and looking overall at, at the labor movement, I think this does set the standard still for uh, the labor movement as a whole. I think we did set the bar high uh, for full-time and part-time. Uh, I think it does give us a lot of power, and I think it's going to give a lot of other working-class Americans across the country a lot of power uh for whatever industry that they're in, uh, particularly Amazon, you know, the twenty-four, the $25 hour, uh, starting wage for part-timers would have been great, uh, great tool to, to approach Amazon workers with and say, Hey, look, we got this for the part-timers at UPS and, and, you know, we can support you and get this for you too. You know, starting at 21, that is a more difficult, uh, argument to bring that because there are some Amazon workers that are making $21 an hour. Uh, but there are other, uh gains in this contract that we can use uh to organize amazon as well and, and i think that is you know the biggest thing again going back to the language is getting our eyes on the language and, and seeing where where we really did make the truest gains and uh and and utilize those to to organize amazon that's that's the next biggest fight you know we were anticipating the one of the largest uh you know labor strikes in u.s history uh with ups and and everybody was anticipating and we were all ready we stood in solidarity together and even though the company tried to divide us you know full-timers against part-timers and 22 fours against full-timers and you know there was plenty of propaganda out there but we stood in solidarity together and and you know uh look at the result you know we got a deal before the deadline and uh, i think that was the the goal for everybody and i think now we may still be a part of uh the largest strike in u.s history and that instead of being ups maybe in amazon in the near future so i'm very hopeful great thank, thank you all for your intros thanks for just coming on the show thanks for um sharing your different perspectives on uh yeah this the, the highlights of this ta that was just reached i think patrick i appreciate you sort of landing on the solidarity there and i think that's really what we saw in that video we showed which over the past three weeks right there's been practice pickets there's been rallies there's been uh you know distribution of pamphlets informational materials really just emphasizing look we make a credible strike threat. We stay united. Um, we broaden this out to the, the labor movement. This is a fight for all of us. Um, and you get the results. And, you know, uh, I think undeniably we are seeing some gains in this contract. It's up to the members to decide whether or not this, uh, you know, is everything they wanted it to be. And I'm happy that we got sort of a range of opinions um, and perspectives that are probably lingering throughout the, the membership. I'm um, now... Each of you have common experiences, you know, there's solidarity and unity between each of you. There's also, you know, I think there are differences and we brought you guys on to have some also questions for each one of you um, specifically to speak on some of the those um, 
those particular experiences. I wanted to start first, you know, in this second round of questions with you, Tony. Um, you know, you mentioned this a little bit. You were talking about uh, your striking in 1997 when you were 22 years old. Um, you had touched on a bit about the heat. Um, and I also wanted to bring in Teamsters for a Democratic Union. I w- I'd like to ask a couple things of you. Talk about the energy you felt when you were 22 in 1997, what all that was about. And maybe can you bring us to the present? Is there, are we, what's different? What is the same? What are you feeling right now? And maybe you could touch on the importance of Teamsters for a Democratic Union in both of those fights and your involvement in this reform organization, which I think can be credited in organizing and mobilizing behind the changes, the historic changes that we're seeing in the Teamsters Union, um, in the broader labor movement today. Well, I mean, needless to say, being a young you know, 22, 23, 23 year old kid on a, on a picket line. It's, it was my, the energy that I had alone was, you know, ridiculous, but then because of the energy surrounding me, right. All those people fighting for more, all those people out there fighting for themselves, their families, their children. Um, you know, it was, it was just something that, uh, at, at a young age, it was, it was like kind of overwhelming, but at the same time, you know, I was able to adapt because it felt, I, I felt it. I, I, I kind of knew what, what was at stake. I just, you know, in my youth, didn't think how, what the work was involved in putting it together. And now being older and being part of the movement and, and actually being there and trying to organize some of these things, a whole different story, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's the funniest part, though, is that in 97, guess what? We were fighting for part-timers. Here we are in 2023, fighting for part-timers. It's like, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot more to this. Yes, obviously, but in in 1997, the slogan was, part-time America won't work. That was the slogan. And this year, hey, I'm wearing it. Pay up. Pay up for part-time. You know, it's like like we've almost come full circle. but what the good part about it is with the help of uh tdu back then and i wasn't a member of tdu back then um but you know i had obviously heard of them through the building when people were talking about getting this uh you know this president ron carey elected who as you can see on the back of my on the wall here this is from the old 804 union hall home of ron carey um you know he was a great man and he fought for 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 the workers and uh he got elected i believe it was in 1991 and it was the first time we've ever had a democratically elected international president um i mean some of those that have been following the uaw would know that just happened for them you know (laughs) believe it or not in in those days of the 80s and the 70s these people were just chosen it was the good old boys club who's next hey let's talk to this guy he's getting ready to go up put him in there you know, no, no, not anymore. We have an election. It's it's going to happen. And and you know, though it took almost, uh, I believe the organization started around seventy six, if I'm not mistaken, and it took till almost ninety one. So you figure, yeah, if you do the math, you're talking about a little over twenty years to get a democratically elected uh, international officer. But it took a lot of work, and just like it did this time, we were on the half of uh, what twenty something years when I joined TDU. Uh, it was 2016 during the 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 first attempt at at, at us uh, running for office in the international, and uh, we lost, you know, by 6,000 votes. 
um, you know, a lot of it due to Canada and some of the West Coast. But that was that was the the that was the um, that's what happened. Um, uh, it takes time. It takes a lot to build these movements from the you know, it, it, it's about building worker power at the end of the day. It's about, listen, we all know that, it, and I know Richard could attest to this because he's a, a, a PO down there in 623. The minute, even with the contract, as solid as we got right now, what we're working on right now, if you don't have an engaged membership, it just doesn't even matter. Because this company will, as soon as the ink dries, they're violating the contract. And you need strong stewards, you need strong members that are gonna that are gonna put in those grievances and police the contract and make sure that you don't allow the company to do these violations. Um, so what I love about this contract fight and all this practice picketing and, and all these rallies that we had, it was like building a momentum. It is building momentum. And we're talking to these workers and they're seeing all this action around them. They've never seen it. They've never seen it. They've never experienced it. Shit, I haven't seen it in 25 years. So, you know, there's always been talk, okay, we're gonna strike, oh, let's take the authorization, sure, everybody votes yes to authorize the strike, but did we ever know? I haven't seen this credible type of strike threat, and, and the best part it was, it was not a threat on the workers. Like, I felt like in the past, even when we struck in 97, it was like, you know, we were worried we were going to go on strike, but the threat was we were striking. It's like, oh, my God, well, are we going to get our jobs? Who's going to take our work? You know, there was all this anxiety, all these, all this uh, not knowing. This threat was on UPS and UPS alone. It was on them. Everybody knew it was on them. If we struck, it's because they struck themselves because people are tired of the bullshit. So it was nice to put that back on them instead of it being the threat against us. If we strike, what's the threat, you know? Um, so that felt good. Um, uh, things in 97, there wasn't no social media back then, right? People didn't have phones in their pockets. You know, if you if you had a, a mobile phone, it was probably this big and cost you a few hundred dollars. <laughs> well, nowadays phones are all over a thousand bucks, but I mean, back then we're talking big money, right? Um, so, you know, and we had a lot of community support. We had a lot of white, uh, blue-collar support from the blue-collar workers. Sanitation in Foster Avenue, where I'm from in Brooklyn, was right across the street. They used to honk their horns going by, bring water sometimes. You know, the camaraderie, the guys out there, the guys and girls having barbecues, you know, the kids sometimes. It was really nice. But And we got, like I said, some communities, some organizations. This one, I mean, just the practice pickets alone, there were armies out in front of those buildings okay i mean and i have to thank a lot of these organizations that came out in support like dsa uh, align uh, make the road um um uh, psl i mean there was a lot of organizations that just came out i mean kids from hunter college came down to brooklyn from the cuny labor school system i mean the amount of support just on our practice pickets i couldn't even imagine what it would have been like to actually strike this company. I mean, it's not over yet, but just to see that kind of support, you know, and, and again, the social media visual, right? Of all these workers posting from all over the country, chanting, picket signs, playing music, you know, it was like, I felt like I was 22 again, you know? It was just, it was just that good of a feeling, you know? Um, but um, yeah, if we're, if we're, uh, it, we're in a different place, especially with technology in 2023. And, um, you know, I'm I'm super stoked to see what's coming. 
Um, but if I have to uh, sum it all up, I have to say the difference will be that, you know, we had 185,000 workers back then. We have 340,000 workers now. Uh, as, as it's been mentioned before, that will shut down 6% of the GDP. I think the leverage was there and it wasn't just leverage. And, and like Pat mentioned, you know, this fight wasn't just our fight. This wasn't just a fight for UPS workers. This was a fight for all workers. This is a fight for all workers. You know, we're fighting to raise the standards in this industry and hopefully in other industries. You know, the, the, the win for us would be a win for the working class, the whole working class, you know? And I've mm -hmm. said it once before, a rising tide lifts all boats. We want all those boats to lift up together and, you know, and we're going to keep fighting and we have to use the momentum. People have to understand just because the strike is over, I don't want to see anybody putting their foot over there. Oh, we're done. We're good. Let's sit back. and No, no. <laughs> now the real work begins. Now it's time to police that contract. It's time to make sure you stop any violation that you see. Like I mentioned, the ink dries, they're violating. So get your members engaged. Use this opportunity of talking to workers on those practice pickets, at the parking lot, in the lunchroom. Continue to talk about how we built this momentum. And the reason we're winning and have all the gains that we've achieved so far is because of the rank and file workers. Yeah, of course, it's due to great leadership, but it was the workers out on those streets. It was the workers out there talking to one another, making sure that we continue to educate one another. Education is key. Um, and we got to keep building off this momentum right in through the strike and past it. Because guess what? In another five years, there'll be another one. So let's um, let's just keep this momentum going. Let's focus on what's important, winning, yeah, obviously, and all the work that we got to do when we win to continue to make sure our members stay engaged to enforce a good contract. Oh, yeah. Well, and... and you know, we'll, we'll kind of circle back to this at the in the final round and when we kind of zoom out here. But um, it was already mentioned on the stream. I mean, like, this is not happening in a vacuum, right? Hollywood, writer, Hollywood writers have been on strike since May 2nd. Uh, SAG-AFTRA members have now joined them on the picket line. Uh, we've got the United Auto Workers uh, engaging in contract negotiations with the big three, uh, and they could be on strike in September. There are also other strikes that we cannot forget about that are still going that we have covered here at The Real News and that I implore people to continue to support because they need to win, too. If we want the movement to grow, we need to make sure everybody wins. We cannot forget about the striking workers at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette who have been on strike since October. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette owners, they want to kill that union. That is what they are doing. They are holding out, doing exactly what the Hollywood execs have said they want to do to the writers. They want to starve them out. They want to hold out long enough until they get demoralized, they quit, or they can uh, ram through a decertification vote. So they want to go for the jugular, so we got to respond with equal force, right? And so all of this is happening at once, and what happens next, where this all goes, depends on what we do now. So please keep supporting Pittsburgh Post-Gazette strikers. Keep supporting folks on strike at Medieval Times. They've been on strike for months, too. They are holding the line. They're getting hit by cars on the picket line, even if they're a smaller workforce. They deserve our solidarity, too. All those Starbucks workers who have 
won their unions fair and square and who have been rewarded by getting fired, by getting harassed, surveilled, having their stores closed, getting descheduled so they lose their health care. Where are we for them? Right. If we want to see, again, the movement grow, we have to be vigilant and fight those the bosses at everywhere that they are violating our rights and abusing our brothers and sisters in industry to from industry to industry. And Richard, I want to kind of like pick up on something Tony said and toss it to you, right? I want to talk about how the fight at UPS can and should trickle out uh, to other parts of the logistics industry and the labor movement. Because I think in one sense, when we're talking about UPS, we're talking about the logistics industry, it tends, I mean, it's become something of what I guess we would call in the organizing world a choke point, right? Because there have been a lot, a lot of the economy runs through places like UPS, right? Just like a lot of the economy runs through the railroads last year and scab Joe Biden and Democrats and Republicans in Congress said, no, actually too much of the economy depends on the railroads. We can't allow railroad workers to strike and they crushed their strike. But what I'm saying is that with so many, 340,000 people at UPS alone, we're not even talking about FedEx, we're not talking about USPS, right? That's a hell of amount of workers. And if you have that amount of people mobilized, you could really put the squeeze on the bosses. But of course, there are a lot of other non-union folks working in that supply chain. I was one of them. You know, 11 years ago, I was a temp warehouse worker in Southern California. We did not have a union and we were treated like crap. And like, so then you have an issue where we have a lot of workers strategically placed in an industry where we could exert our will, but that is also an industry that chews up and grinds up human bodies left and right, right? To the point that it's even hard to build a base because most of us won't even last a few months while we're there, right? So I want to ask if you could talk about that from the UPS side, because I don't want people to lose sight of how brutal this job is. And how much UPS asks of your members, right? And and like what they go through on a day-to-day basis and what fighting against that as a union, like how that can help raise the standards for other workers in this industry um, and, and, and like how they can see the contract fight at UPS and take away something that they can then use to improve their own lives. Well, that is a loaded, loaded question. A um, lot to unpack there, but so we're going to start at the end. So UPS is a very, very difficult company to work for and to deal with. They, they have a culture there that um, just wants to just break you. They spend 30 days to train you and then the next 30 years trying to get rid of you. And they do it better than probably anybody else. I mean, they will find anything they can to get rid of you. Um, and to Tony's point, you do have to have strong stewards, strong leadership to fight back because UPS, man, they are a bully. They are the biggest bullies I've, I've ever seen. And they hide behind this, this, this family oriented. Um, you can, you know, we, I mean, look at Carol Tomei. She sounds so sweet and, you know, she's, you know, uh, got glasses on, man, and we're not far apart. And I mean, she just sounds like she, you know, she really cares. But under all that, man, she don't care. The company doesn't care. 
And so we constantly have to fight back. And because we do have a union, um, we can win. And so that part right there should be encouraging for the non-union people who go through the same thing. You, Amazon goes through the same harassment, bullying treatment by their company. The issue is they don't have a union to fight back. We can fight back. And the reason why you see these gains that we've gotten, the reason why we have a grievance procedure, the reason why we have the panel and the arbitrators, all that is because we do have a union. And I think once we can show Amazon workers, not just Amazon, but all workers, all workers. I don't want to just limit it to Amazon, but all workers, the Walmart workers, Target workers, um, any worker. We all have the same enemy. Right. So um, I don't want to limit it to Amazon folks, but I think this this contract for UPS is so important because, like you said, you know, we will be the standard to uplift every other worker, whether you're union or non-union. This contract will be able to uplift union and non-union because we set the standard. So if all those workers see, hey, hold on a minute, man, if if the workers at UPS are just practicing going on strike, if they're just doing these things to hold the company accountable, we can too. We can we can do that at our buildings, at our shops, at our company. We can do the same exact thing they're doing. How about we go over and talk to some of the union folks at UPS? How do they do it? What was their, you know, why, why were they so successful in getting this contract done? You know, what was the blueprint? What was the plan? Because it could be used in other places. So um, I think this is a big, big moment just for labor um, in general, uh, whether you work for a union or not, not for you, but in a union or, you know, in, you know, in a union. Um, I, I think this is very important. I, 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 it's kind of hard to, to describe what this means. Because this is so, this is so huge. You're talking about changing the lives of 340,000 people, their families, their communities, and also, um, what is it going to do for the non-union folks when they see 340,000 people getting better, better wages, health care, stronger pensions, um, safety protections at work? What does that mean for them? Uh, and hopefully this will be an example of what is possible for them. And I know it's, it's not going to be easy because any any time you're making a, a step to organize, it's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be fear. But I think um, if they see this, which I know they will, then that should give them the courage to fight back against their employer. And of course, you know, we'll be there to help as well. I mean, we have the blueprint. You know, we have part timers, full timers, drivers, warehouse workers. So every everything we got covered and we can have been an example for these other non-union and union facilities. So uh, this this will be a great monumentous um, situation if if we can get everybody on the same page. That's that's the other part. We got to get everybody on the same page, whether you're 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 non-union union. Whatever it is, everybody got to come together on this issue. It just can't be the Teamsters. It has to be the Teamsters, the AFL, CIO, SCIU, Longshoremen, um, 
you name it, everybody has to be together to to fight these corporations because that's the only way we're going to win. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, and you know. Speaking of all the solidarity, getting people together, I know there's a big air hub in your local in Philadelphia and 3,000, over 3,000 UPS pilots, part of another union. Uh, they said, look, we're not going to cross the picket line uh, if UPSers, who are represented by the Teamsters, different union, uh, will will go on strike. So we're definitely seeing that. Now, I wanted to bring it back to sort of where you started the brutality of UPS. I think a lot of folks are starting to understand, especially last summer when it became very visible, people dropping like flies in the extreme heat. Um, you know, we also know our UP, local UPS drivers. So I think that there was beginnings of people starting to understand what UPSers are going through. But not all UPSers, right? Uh, people... Now, especially since contract negotiations broke down over part-timers' wages, uh, part-timers who work inside the warehouse, we are only now just starting to have a, a broader conversation about the greater solidarity in the union, in particular with 60% of the workforce, part-time warehouse workers. In that warehouse, um, I've talked to tons of UPSers, had LB Lieb on the Upsurge podcast to talk about how brutal those conditions are as well. Um, LB, I want to toss it to you and to discuss, you know, talk about what it's like in that warehouse and the pace, the, the harassment that you've told me about before and what it all means that, you know, you may be making um, as low as sixteen twenty per hour um, in the midst of these often brutal conditions. Yeah, right on, Teddy. Um, and actually, I think in my building it's 1550 to start um i'm not sure when they get that 1625 for 1650 i've heard so um but so depending on where you live it's a lot less right um but i would say like there's a couple things i want to talk about um and uh for example um for me like we came out of this covid period and during that covid period um we were working you know a lot of us were working six days a week we were working, you know, six and a half, seven hours a day. Um, and and that was for years, right? Two, two and a half years, right, of doing that on concrete floors. Um, and I've been doing this, like I said, for a while. And so for me, it was like, it was, how did it, it has an impact on my body. Um, I know for other folks who have been there for a while, um, our bodies eventually tear down. And so anyhow, um, but we had this pace that was going on, you know, because all everybody was ordering. And so we were getting putting these hours in and stuff. And oftentimes I like to say, if you have six hours of work, if you're if you're doing work in six hours, UPS it actually has eight hours worth of work for you. Right. So you're always trying to do more and less. Um, and so after this peak, um, it seems like I don't know if it's because and when I say peak, I mean the Christmas period. Um, it seems like this pace has just increased. And, and there's been. Um, in some places there's been a slowdown as far as overall volume. And so you've had 22 force jumping in to work on preload and stuff like Patrick was saying, but overall, um, we've had seen this increase in our volume, at least where I'm at. And I'm having, instead of loading, you know, at one point in time, I loaded three trucks, um, and then it's four trucks. And then now it's up to five trucks and, um, literally packages falling off the belt complaints about egress. Um, you know, 
you're worried about being struck by packages and and overweight packages being put on on the belt which is a, a contract issue and and so you just have these conditions where and it's like where they're constantly pushing you and like i said you know if you got eight hours worth of work you're going to get it done in six because they don't want to pay you that overtime they don't want to pay you maybe it'd be a full-time job right but they don't want to acknowledge that so so you're always being pushed uh the conditions in my building in particular and this is Depending on the newness of the building, UPS likes to keep old facilities. Um, um, you may we don't have fans on any of the belts except we have one new belt that they put in, which is an, a, an extended type prefab type uh, belt that actually has fans in it, and it's like one of the, it's one of the cooler places. The rest of the building, the original building, we don't have any fans except for two fans in our primary, which is where the trailers get unloaded. And it'll be 70 degrees outside, but in that building, it's like 80, 90 degrees. There's no air movement. It's hot. It's, you're just, it's, and you're trying to, you're trying to do this, this volume, this work that's coming at you at, at this pace. And I don't mind to complain about it. You know, uh, at some level, I'm do, I've been doing it for this long. I enjoy this sense of accomplishment that I get, but that's a problem. Oftentimes, you're sort of put in a position where you're like you're trying to load your trucks, but you can't. You want to put the packages away like you're like you're instructed to. Use the methods that UPS teaches you, but you can't. They they set you up in a catch twenty two system. It's like I I can't do this because I can't pull these packages off quick enough and put them in the trucks. So you just end up stacking things, and then eventually things are falling on the on the ground. And that's not just the the like the work in the building because i want to address something too um and i think one of one of the other panelists mentioned this is uh, i think maybe it was patrick or whatever but the schedule right um he talked about coming in and double shifting working preload and then maybe coming back and working a reload or a local sort which is in the evening so the preload is when we load the trucks in the morning and that schedule in general it's kind of you like okay i'm working between Maybe 3 a.m. to 8.30, or maybe it's going to be 9, or maybe I'm working at 2, and maybe I'll be done by 8.30. And it depends. So if you're trying to plan a schedule, like that makes it hard, right? And it, my, some people might say, like, well, what are you doing in the middle of the night that, you know, that, but if you have childcare, you need to leave at a certain time to get your children on the bus or whatever, or to, or to meet your partner. And it's really hard to plan. And then also, too, um, unless you're working at night and then you go home and you don't have anything to do and you can go to sleep, you're not get your your schedule split up because like for me, like I'll go to work and maybe I get a nap afterwards or something, but I have stuff I have to do during the day. I'm like a I'm like a vampire trying to live <laughs> during the day, you know, and oftentimes like you know, you're sleep deprived. Um, you're not get like I said, not getting enough sleep. So that's another stress on your body. Um, another thing, like, um, I was going to say to, um, having that schedule, trying to interface with like the rest of society, um, over a period of time, it gets, it gets difficult. And I don't, like I said, I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining about stuff, but that is long-term that has an impact on your body. It's had an impact on my body, you know, hypertension, um, and things like this, you know? So when you're young and you're flexible and it seems like a great job, and I think that some of it is that. Um, UPS during this whole contract negotiation was really trying to sell part-time work as a gig job, right? It's the job you can do before you go to your business that you as an entrepreneur are starting to do, right? They were trying to sell it that way. And for some people that works, 
But for a lot of folks, you know, like I said, that want to be there long term because of the benefits and they have a family or because that's the schedule that can work. And this is kind of the, this, you know, I believe UPS is a good job. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it for so long. But there comes with cost with it. And that's what we fight for. It can change your family tree, I feel. It's we talked about we wanted part time jobs with dignity, right? It's not just getting those full time jobs. Yes, some people can do those. I don't want to become a driver. I've driven. I've been out there. I'm 54 years old at this point in time. I don't think my body can handle it. I know the pace. Um, So, you know, yeah, for me, looking for an inside combo job, those those full time jobs that they're hoping they're uh, promising us. That is also another thing that some people might want to take advantage of, and and that would really be a a game changer. But like I said, there's a lot of us that are part time for a reason, and we want to have we want to stay there at UPS. We're proud of what we do. We believe it's a good company, and we do have excellent benefits. But we're always fighting for what we what we get. You know, they don't give us anything for free. It's, it's like Tony was saying. As soon as the papers dry. You know, we need to be fighting for this contract. That's this is why this is so important to me. It's not just like people. The uh, I have friends and stuff that are in labor and stuff. Everyone's looking at this and they're saying, "Wow, this is this pivotal moment." Uh, you know, as far as the labor movement, what's going to happen? You know, are the Teamsters going to really bring it home? And what that impact will mean for others? You know, so like they're calling this like the labor summer, right? So I think that's important. But it's also this energy that we've built up. We need to carry it into if if we accept this contract or, or whatever happens, this energy that we have needs to continue on, and and because if we don't have that energy, if people sit back and say, okay, well I got mine, you know, we're going to be right back in the same spot because UPS does not give anything for free, right? If you get if you're going to get twenty five dollars an hour, if, if or, or or you know whatever. They're going to want to pay you the same amount of money and have you do the same work, right? So if you got, you know, they're going to make that six hours. They're going to try to get it done in three and a half, right? Because they don't want to pay you any more money. And so that's the stuff that we need to stand up and fight. That's the, and, and being aware of the small print of contract, for example, um, with this whole uh different schedules that I've been working with, like uh, the 22 fours, Tuesday through Saturday or Monday through Friday, uh, there's been a loophole with part-timers, right? Um, they all, in my center, they all got moved to Tuesday through Saturday. So Monday's an optional day. It's like nobody's scheduled to work. It's all volunteer, right? And so if they come and work, in my argument would have been that that would have been their first day of work. And then if they worked their Saturday shift, that'd be a six day work at overtime, right? Every six days paid at overtime. Um, well, UPS says, no, this is extra work because it's outside their extra schedule. So this is a trick that they do because Saturday's like, you know, this past Saturday was a six hour shift, right? Six and a half hours. Monday might be three hours. So, right. So this is a way to like short, short people, right? So mm-hmm. if we're not aware of these things, if we don't resolve these things, we're going to be missing out. So we got to get people energized. We got to be focused, get them educated on their contract and get mm-hmm. them to fight for it. And even if like, Maybe we feel we should get a certain wage. If, if it pans out that we don't get that $25 an hour, this contract, this is just a stepping stone. I think it's important. It might not be my fight. I might be retired in five years. But we need to set that stage so that people are moving on to the next thing and making sure that those cars that are supposed to have air conditioning have air conditioning by 2020 or in 2024 going forward, right? So these, this, this to me is the energy that we need to keep. And this is why this is so important. Um, 
and so i don't know i got anything more <laughs> yeah, th thank you so much lb for elaborating on all of that you know i really appreciate you explaining you know you're not you're not just complaining about your job this is an important job to you you know it's one of the few part-time gigs or not i won't say gig part-time jobs that gives you a pension that gives you health care um and you are emphasizing these struggles um, and fighting for a better job so that other people can make a career out of UPS. Right. Now, I want to talk about tiers, so I'm going to pass this to Patrick, who's a second-tier driver. You know, In many ways, we could talk about the original tiered system at UPS being the full-time, part-time divide. But a newer tiered system, um, which entered the four in 2018 with the creation of the 22 fours, who are these second tier drivers who um, are second generation drivers, pretty much doing the same thing as Tony did, um, right? A package car delivery driver, but they get less protections, less uh, protections from forced overtime, excessive overtime, and they get paid less. Patrick, can you talk about that experience, what that means in the union, what that means in the workforce. Um, also, the fact that it appears that it, it will be abolished in this tentative agreement if it's ratified. And then also, finally, you're an Amazon organizer. Um, we're seeing rolling pickets across delivery stations right now at Amazon with the Amazoners, um, at delivery drivers and dispatchers over in Palmdale, California on strike. What does it mean to abolish the two-tier for Amazon organizing. Yeah, I mean, I to piggyback a little bit off of, um, you know, the solidarity that LB was uh, referencing, I think that in building that momentum, you know, taking that momentum, uh, just to touch on Amazon before uh, going into the two tier, um, you know, I, I was just a part of and involved with, uh, you know, the extended picket lines in North Haven, Connecticut, and in Northern Massachusetts. Uh, you know, we stood in solidarity with the 82 drivers that walked off the job in Palmdale, California, and using the momentum surrounding the UPS contract campaign, we were able to garner a lot of a lot of support and a lot of power, not just uh, with Amazon workers directly, but in the community as well. And and supplementing UPS drivers to come out and support and actually educate them on what's going on at Amazon. So I think capturing that energy and applying it to Amazon, you know, translates really well. And and we saw a lot. We saw we had a huge, huge success in, in both North Haven and in Norwood, uh, extending those picket lines. Hundreds and hundreds of people out there, uh, you know, chanting at the top of their lungs, and and it was it was uh, it was unbelievable. So we we definitely want to keep that momentum going. But to to get back to the the two tear, I mean. As I said before, you know, I was hired in 2020. I'm a COVID baby, as everybody likes to reference. Uh, but with that comes a lot of things. You know, both the company and the IBT were in a very unique position during COVID. I mean, UPS was hiring at, a, at an, a, an unbelievable rate to keep up with the volume and, and secure jobs and, and keep the packages flowing and keep the economy going. Uh, at the same time, you know, the union uh, was was processing all these new members you know and a lot of them had never been in a union before never been exposed to what it means to be in a union never had family members in a union so they have no clue 
what it means. We had some 22 fours that didn't even know they were part of the team series when they joined UPS. So, uh, you know, once you make book, you're, you become a team sir. And, and it, you know, uh, to tie in TDU as well, I actually reached out to, uh, TDU organizers. I'm a TDU member myself and, and they really helped support me in helping educate the new 22 fours in my building. We put on an educational workshop. We, uh, we had about 75, uh, 22 fours that came out that were eager to learn about what it meant to be a teamster, the history, a little bit of history with the teamsters, uh, what your 401k meant, what your pension meant, what your health and welfare meant, how important those things were, how many hours you have to work to see, to secure those benefits, how, you know, uh, what rights you have, because maybe as a 22 four, you don't have nine, five rights, but you can still file grievances on a supervisor working or touching bargaining at work. You know, a lot of people were under the misconception as a 22 four that we had no rights at all which is not the case at all you know so uh there was a lot of you know chaos surrounding covid especially initially uh early on and you know we had to fight to get masks we had to fight to get hand sanitizer in our trucks we had to fight this has been a constant fight since the beginning of covid since i got hired every day walking into the building was a fight and you know of course everybody is starry-eyed at a new job when they first start and everything's new and there's new processes and there's new people and and it's exciting and everybody wants to do a good job and they want to you know they work hard uh but you know working hard and being taken advantage of are, are two separate entities you know and this company loves to take advantage of their employees and and the 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 original design of the 22-4 classification was a combo job yes it was to supplement overtime to alleviate overtime for the rpcds it was also to you know uh be a combo uh driver where you could if they didn't have work for you as a driver you could work inside however because everything surrounding covid was so chaotic they never properly utilized the classification of the 22-4. And they just threw drivers out with little to some no training at all out on the road. You know, you you were given your fives and tens and kind of hope you know them. You know, fives and tens are your five seeing habits and your, and your you know, those are your, your methods and your procedures that, that UPS wants you to follow to be safe on the road. Uh, and you had drivers that were out, you know, busting their ass saying that they're doing you know me personally it took me a while to slow down in the very beginning and understand you know that i was pushing myself too hard i was up to well over 200 stops a day i was delivering up to sometimes five six hundred packages a day and and until my local stewards came up to me and approached me and said hey look slow it down you're gonna hurt yourself you're gonna this isn't the way that we work you know there is being efficient and then there's being safe and being cautious and, and doing the job properly. And, you know, that really had to get drilled into me. And the, I wasn't alone. There was a lot of other 22 fours that were abused in that way. And it, it, my eyes didn't really open until, you know, I did go out to the TDU national convention and I was educated and I networked and I talked and heard everybody else's stories and how crazy COVID was for everybody, you know, not just 22 fours, you know, so it gave me a very unique perspective, but, you know, understanding the fact that oh the full-time package car drivers make nearly double the amount how come you know i'm working 13 14 hours every single day and getting home at 11 o'clock and just like a part-time shift you know when you report and punch in at 10 past nine in the morning and then you're out until 11 o'clock every night 
what quality of life do you have? You know, if you have kids at home, how do you spend time with them? If you have even just simple chores, doing your dishes, doing your laundry regularly, doing, you know, doing basic mowing your grass, you know, these are things that, that you shouldn't have to worry about taking care of one day a week because you're working these egregious hours, you know, and on top of that, the physical aspect comes in and, you know, delivering 500 packages or 500 of anything, you know, is going to uh, abuse your body. Nevertheless, you're going up and down three steps, you know, every single stop, somebody else's steps, the pace as if uh, I, I know that um, LB had mentioned as well, that, you know, the pace as a driver, the harassment plays a role in that as well, because we have supervisors that will call you on road and say, Hey, what's taking you so long? Why did you sit in this position for one minute? Why did it was a constant battle? Like I said, every single day to, to really, uh, open a lot of people's eyes, especially the 22 force. Our, our, our educational workshop was super successful because we did help, uh, the new 22 fours open their eyes and understand that, you know, they are being taken advantage of and that these are the processes that the union, the steps the union takes that we can mitigate uh, the harassment. We can mitigate, you know, the pace and, you know, we can work safely and get home safely and, you know, really, um, you know, control the narrative and control uh, our jobs at UPS as a whole, you know, um, the, that, uh, that, Education for the 22 fours was, was hugely important uh, to me personally because I felt very lost and uneducated when I when I first came into the job. And I was very fortunate that, like I said, I had two stewards that uh, kind of took me under their wing and, and educated me. And I, you know, I got to a point where I was abusing myself every single day for my first, you know, six, almost eight months, uh, you know, working at a pace that was not sustainable. Uh, I was bound to get injured or get hurt myself. And I really looked at it like, well, what can I do? Because there has to be more than, you know, delivering cardboard every day. And that's when I did get involved. I started going to monthly meetings. I started, you know, asking questions of, of you know, uh, you know, can I get a copy of the contract? Can I read it? Can I, you know, can I educate myself and in turn educate everybody else that, because I knew if I was feeling the way that I was feeling initially when I got hired, uh, I knew that I wasn't alone in that. And with the other 22 fours, I knew that other, other people felt the same way that they felt lost, that they felt, you know, uh, like they didn't, they didn't have a clue. And they also felt the weight of being, taken advantage of by the company and nobody knew if they could speak up, would they get in trouble? Would you get disciplined? Would you, you know, so, so really helping educate that, you know, push the 22 force. And that's why, you know, we saw a great, a great stand in solidarity, especially I can speak to my local uh, 22 fours, part-timers, full-timers all stood together in solidarity, whether it was in the morning uh, on our practice pickets or in the evening for, for our part-time shifts. Uh, we all stood together, full-timers with part-timers, and we really showed the company that this momentum, we, we are ready for this fight, and we're not going to back down. And if we have to take it to the street, we will. And I think, you know, as all the other panelists have said across the country, uh, that solidarity rang true. And, you know, the, the local media coverage and the, the local uh, political support that we had, the, the, local, the local community support that we had was was uh, was absolutely exceptional. And, and and, you know, I think that really showed the company that that we meant business and we mean business. You know, like we say, it's not over yet. 
but you know we are very hopeful and i think that that you know that energy that we did create uh, surrounding the ups contract campaign we can laterally use that to organize amazon because you know specifically the north haven uh um strike line extension from palmdale uh i personally was blocking a back entrance there and we blocked probably about 15 uh tractor trailers that that uh were either trying to pull in or pull out uh it was about a three mile stretch three of those tractor trailers did have to back up about three three and a half miles uh which was pretty unsafe but uh we got our point across there and i as an amazon organizer had the opportunity to talk to every amazon employee that was leaving that building that day and i spoke with over 200 amazon employees and the overwhelming uh vibe was that they are ready they are fed up with the shit that's going on inside the buildings. It's the same, it's very similar issues, you know, pick rate, you know, they can adjust your pick rate, which means the packages that you pick per hour, you know, sometimes that rate is up around 300 to 400 packages in an hour, you know, which is absolutely insane. You know, like I said, about UPS, it's unsustainable work standard, you know, and, and you're only bound to get hurt or, or, or even worse, you know? So I think that, you know, that response from, getting that response directly from Amazon workers in North Haven, Connecticut, you know, they overwhelmingly said, we need the union. We support you. We're ready to fight, you know? So, uh, that is building the solidarity that we need. And, and that is, like I said, laterally moving the energy that we have surrounding the UPS contract campaign, not just to Amazon, but to the labor movement as a whole. Hell yeah. Well, gang, I mean, I could talk to you all for hours, but I know it has been a very exhausting day for all of you. Uh, it has also been an exhausting day for our incredible team here at The Real News, and i got to let people go home. Um, so we're going to kind of wrap this up with a final lightning round, but I really, really just wanted to thank everyone who has been watching this. We've had incredible engagement in the live chat, a lot of members, uh, UPSers, a lot of supporters, uh, a lot of folks with questions about the TA. Again, we, we tried to give updates at the top of this live stream based on what we know now. Now, but as all of our panelists have said, have said the devil's going to be in the details and it is ultimately going to be up to the membership to vote on whether or not this tentative agreement is accepted as the new five-year contract and that's going to be playing out over the next month culminating in August 20 uh, on, on the 22nd of August so be on a lookout for that we have posted some links in the live chat with a few more kind of details on uh, the details of the TA as we currently know um, so I know you have more questions and I'm sorry if we weren't able to get to all of them, but I really, really can't thank, uh, our incredible panelists, Richard, Tony, LB and Patrick enough for giving us so much of their time, being so generous with their insight and experience and, um, and to Teddy. I mean, it's been a real honor, uh, co-hosting this with you, man. And it's been an honor fighting alongside you to cover this. Uh, as you and Ruby have done on the upsurge with humanity, with grace, with grit, uh, and with a fierce commitment to our fellow workers. So I wanted to say that because I am going to like ask a final lightning round question here. Just a kind of quick last couple minutes and then we'll round out. But I do want to give Teddy the last uh, word when we're done with that to kind of close us out. So I'm giving you a heads up here. <laughs> but like my final word is just kind of like reminding folks of like why we keep saying this contract fight between 
340,000 Teamster UPSers and United Parcel Service. Like, why this was such and is such a pivotal pivotal moment uh, in the labor movement and, you know, frankly, in the broader class war that we are experiencing right now. I mean, I really want to kind of impress that uh, upon everyone watching and listening. I mean, you guys already know it. You, if you listen to our work at The Real News, you watch our videos, you read our text reports, you know damn well that, you know, like the class war is really, really heating up in this country. It's been building for a long time. I mean, we can go back 40 years, but from the 1980s onwards, working people in this country have been working longer. They've been working harder. We have been more productive. We have been producing more excess profits. But at the same time, uh, organized labor has been uh, under attack. Union density has been in a nosedive decline to the point where we are barely hovering above 10% in this country, 6% in the private sector, which is abysmal, right? But we are not dead yet, right? I mean, people will always fight back. And it's a shame that it it has to get so bad for more people to fight so hard. Um, but I think that is what we are seeing. We are seeing the fight back. And this is one part of the larger fight back. Because what other choice do we have? Right? Because we're talking about companies that through the pandemic, through the tax cuts before that, and the tax cuts before that, right? They have just been robbing us blind. All of that money, all of that excess productivity, all the work that we are doing is enriching them while working people's wages have largely stagnated for the past 45 years. We haven't moved. The cost of living keeps going up. The planet is warming, right? Fewer companies own more of everything, right? And these are the same people who want to kill our unions and uh, get us to all be like sort of gig work slaves, you know, like in their little, you know, economy, right? And so like, what is it going to take to fight back against that. We are seeing that happen right now. We're seeing it with the WGA strike. We're seeing it with the contract fight here with the Teamsters, but also the organizing that's happening at Amazon. We're seeing it not just here in the U.S., but across the world, right? There are worker mobilizations happening in France, in Latin America, uh, in South Korea, right? Like we are part of a broader movement of working people fighting to save our future from being destroyed by these corporate vampires who will destroy it if they don't meet any opposition. We know that much, right? And so I say all that to frame this final lightning round question because I feel like with the immensity of all that we are facing and with all the energy that is built up throughout the course of this contract fight, I understand people's sentiments when they feel like if there's not a strike, it's a waste. Right. Or it's a failure. Right. If we don't strike, then like, where's all that energy going to go? I want to ask in a final lightning round comment, if everyone could just take a minute of like when you whether you're talking to your fellow Teamsters, your fellow UPSers or folks who are just watching and support fellow workers who are not in a union. Where does that energy go? Where do we take this from here? So let's go with Tony. We'll, we'll do the order we did before. Tony, LB, Richard, Patrick. And I'll toss it to my man <laughs> to round us out. Well, man, I wish I could take a good 15, 20 minutes to talk about this one because this is <laughs> huge, but I'm going to make it quick for respect to everybody else. And again, thank you guys so much for having us. This has been huge, both you, Teddy and Max. Thank you. We appreciate you guys. Um, I, I would just say this. Um, uh, we're at war. 
it's it's there's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it the working class is at war and if we're going to win if we're going to get that density back that you spoke max if we're going to fight for everything we deserve and fight to get back the things we've lost like you mentioned over the last 40 years because that's what it's been it's been losing for 40 years then we're going to have to build an army of organizers and we're going to have to win it all back piece by piece we're going to have to build a serious army of organizers, people that are out there talking to members, talking to workers, whether it be union workers, non-union workers, everybody talking to one another, trying to build, you know, educating one another. We talk about transparency. You mentioned 97 to 2023. Well, I could tell you many contracts over the, that span of time that I've been a Teamster, there wasn't much transparency. There wasn't much communication. I didn't know what was going on half the time. I have to say this one, even though people were talking about NDAs and all this kind of stuff, I still felt like I was getting good information on a weekly basis, whether it be through the app that they created for us to look at, where you can look up information. So transparency is key. Um, making sure we're transparent and, and continue to communicate. But at the end of the way, day, if we're going to win this war, we got to build an army of organizers. Um, we got to make sure that they're not just and it's also government, right? We got to make sure that government is putting out proper legislation that's out there to help workers, not against us. You know, we got to strengthen the NLRB. You know, we got to make sure that they're staffed properly. We got to make sure we get labor-friendly politicians in office that are going to make a difference for us. You know, and at the end of the day, it's about workers. We have the power. You mentioned about why this was so important. Why was this such a monumental moment in history? You know, when you talk about 6% of the GDP, you can cripple the economy. The logistics industry is is the chokehold. You meant you said chokehold. It is the chokehold of capital. Nothing comes and goes without you, like, well, not just UPS workers, but workers in logistics exchanging, driving goods, bringing goods back, you know, without the trucks. I mean, let's face it, if people stop driving trucks, uh, would there be food at the supermarkets? Would you be getting packages that you need, your essential items? No, nothing. You'd be getting nothing. So let's start putting an emphasis on how important workers are in this country, especially workers that put their lives on the line during this pandemic. It's just... Sorry about that. My dog started feeling the uh, energy also. You get him, Simba. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I'll make it quick. I just want to say if we're going to win, we got to build this army of organizers. We are at war. Um, and we got to continue to build off these monu monumental moments, just like this one here. Whether we have to strike or whether we don't strike, the point is it took workers together to get what we're getting out of this now, which in my 29 years is more than I've ever seen. So, yeah, we got to keep building off of this, working off of it, continue to raise organizers. Uh, COVID babies like Patrick, COVID babies got to step up. Everybody's got to step up. Part-timers, let's all get together. All these organizations, all these other organizations that have been helping us, bringing community in. You know, we got to make the world better for us. We got to make the world better for our children and for our children's children. We got to continue to fight for that next generation, always thinking of that next generation so that they don't have to endure the things that we had to endure. Um, and we're going to keep fighting for it. And one last thing I'd like to say, because LB touched on UPS putting out all this propaganda with, ooh, the workers are getting this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's nice. But they don't give anything. You know, they don't do it with a with a heart. 
They're not saying, here, take this. No, we fought for everything you see in those commercials. Anybody that has a job that's enjoying vacation time, sick days, whatever it is you're getting, there was a union who fought for that. And whether you have a union or not, the only reason they have it is because unions already fought for it. So all we got to do is make sure we continue to fight for everything, every inch, everything we got to do, we got to fight for it. We just got to keep fighting. And I'll leave it at that. Hell yeah. And uh, Richard, I know you got to hop off in a second, so I'm going to let you cut the line. So uh, your final thoughts on that on that note. So so thanks again for just having this forum. This is awesome. I actually got to go now and, and get down to our buildings because uh, a lot of our members are frustrated and concerned about the TA. So I got to go down and pass in some information out so everybody will know exactly what's going on because what we don't want to do is start to lose that engagement, that intensity, um, that involvement that we have because they may have not seen something that they thought they were going to see um, in the TA. So that's why I have to leave. So um, again, thank you for this. But the energy that that we have now, we, we have to keep it moving. We have to make it grow. Um, because again, just like what I'm about to go face now here, we don't want that energy to be misplaced, to go away, to become stagnant again, like we were for so many years. And so what we have to do is continue to, even after this contract is done, whatever the case, whatever happens, we still have to use that for the next fight and the next fight and the next fight, because UPS is always going to be in the wrong for something. Supervisors are going to work. They're always going to violate the contract. So there's always an opportunity to organize around an issue. I think all of us on here organizers because that's really what unions are supposed to do. The lifeblood of a union is org organizing, no matter if it's a company internally or just something that's going on with your shop. And so we have to make sure that we weaponize that energy to make sure that we're winning for our members. So again, like Anthony said earlier, let's continue to grow this. Don't let it die because this is too important, too valuable just to just to put it on the shelf and wait for the next five years or the next contract or the next struggle. There's there's always an opportunity to fight for our for our members. And we need to make sure that we're always fighting for them. Because um if not, then it, it, it it's gonna be like like it was before. No transparency, no trust. Nobody knows anything. Um, everybody's mad at each other. And then guess what? The employers are winning. The CEOs are getting more profitable. The corporations are becoming more dominant. And what happens to us? So we need to make sure that we continue this, this vibe, this fight, continue to win for our members. And, and, and I'm looking forward to the next, the next battle. Because I already know we're going to win it based on what we've been doing. So thank you again. Sorry I got to leave, but I got to put a whole lot of fires out. So I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much, brother. We appreciate it. Okay, LB Patrick, going to you guys to close us out, and then we'll toss it to Teddy. Um, yeah, so I want to echo whatever uh, the other panelists said. Thanks for having us here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully what uh, we've all shared is has, uh, is important and people understand the message. Um, as far as um, I, I kind of want to echo, um, I think, what Antonio and then um, um, oh, shoot, Richard. I'm sorry. <laughs> Richard, I'm sorry. Uh, Richard just said, I think 
And this is how I got into uh, being more active in my union. It was through TDU, Teamsters for a Democratic Union. We've seen that movement in the UAW. Um, the mentioning about transparency, openness. So I think that as far as us being in a union, that is an important message for us to to maintain, a mantra for us to repeat as far as what we want in our union. Um, and to share that message with other unions, I think that's really important. So we don't have these sort of um, old boy network um, that businesses have, you know, that we're not replicating what they're doing, right? That we have, you know, rank and file power, rank and file democracy, and and spread that message. And then, and yeah, and to speak to the larger question as far as capital and the gains that they've made especially what we see over you know during the period of covid you know we saw this uh consolidation of of uh of wealth in the upper one percent you know and the and the broadening of that wealth gap and um that needs to change and i believe in large part unions help make that happen and so share to me sharing the message of what being in a union means um to others and then encouraging them, and 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 if it's and if it comes that pointing them in the right direction of how how they can form unions in their workplace, if that is something that uh, make that works in that um, that industry, um, I also think that um, like we talked to, there's a to me, I think there's there's a cult. We talk about the culture war. I mean, it, the culture war is also an act is also based upon class, right? And is also based upon wealth you know that culture war is really appealing to in my mind a, a move towards fascism right-wing politics and that does unions have historically been left it's about labor right when the workers have control of their workplace right that is kind of fundamentally what that means and that is antithesis to their message and and what they're what they're trying to do in my opinion is um, along with workers' rights, there's also other rights that they're trying to limit. And so that um, it's through unions that we're empowered that um, as we saw like in the Teamsters, right, you know, that color line vanished. We saw women being, uh, you know, um, receiving equal, equal, well, I should say at least equal wages, right? So when we fight for a contract, it's, it's there's, you know, that gender line's not in there, right? We know what each other makes based upon how long we've been there. So it equalizes people and it helps lift them all up. And that other side, I think capital and the forces that are in that, in that space, they don't want those types of things to exist, but unions and organized labor can make those things happen. We can see people uplifted, marginalized communities uplifted, their rights um, uh, protected. So, so to me, that's kind of what I see going on. Um, I'm getting a little bit um, in the weeds, but I think overall, to me, that's the power of, of unions and the changes that need to make. And that, and then that culture war also too is about educating, right? We need to. There's no you don't learn about unions in school, right? Unless unless uh, you grew up in a union family or near a union town, you know, you don't really understand that. And that's another thing we need to be able to to go into schools or however we talk about future com uh, committees like in unions to help educate younger folks and the younger people coming into uh, unions what they mean and the power and the history of unions and i think that's important because we're not going to win the battle if we're not you know reaching younger people and and uh engaging in that broader message so 
um, and that's all I got. And like I said, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Patrick. Oh, I think you're muted. Sorry about that. I just was saying, Max and Teddy, I wanted to thank you guys again so much for the opportunity to share our experiences with everyone. Um, and to, to echo Albie and, uh, Albie and, and uh, Tony, a, we are at war. You know, the class war is real. and The, the wage gap has been, you know, shrinking. You know, the, the 1% is growing and, and you know, the, it's, it's out of balance right now. And I think... You know, your, your question of channeling, how do we channel the energy and, and really maintain uh, all the momentum that we've built surrounding the UPS contract campaign is get back to the basics, you know, to echo, you know, what LB and, and Tony and Richard have been saying as well, you know, uh, you know, organizing and, and all these things. But I think getting back to the basics and, and how we really utilize this energy is what I mean by back to the basics is the one-on-one conversations, really get into a, you know, getting in front of our members or non-union uh, workers and, and spreading the message individually, you know, social media is great. And, and, you know, spreading the message to the masses is, is, you know, getting the word out there is fantastic. But what I've really seen a lot of success, especially through the UPS contract campaign, as well as now the Amazon campaign is uh, the one-on-one interactions. You know, when you are genuinely telling somebody from the bottom of your heart that they can see, you know, your passion, they can see uh, how, how genuine you are being and how heartfelt you are about what you're talking about. When you look somebody directly in the eye and tell them, you know, we are fighting, we're fighting the good fight and this is why we're fighting. And we want you to join our fight because you know, as Tony said too, this is all of our fight. And having you know, seeing the support we have, we on our on our practice picket lines, we had SEIU, we had you know, we had other local unions that came out to support us. And you know, we should be one union. You know, it should be one fight for the working class people. It is. It is everybody's fight. So I think really just channeling the basics. You know, getting back to the basics and channeling that energy with with one on one interactions and, and being genuine and heartfelt about your message and and being clear with your messaging. Uh, you know, proves a lot of success. I mean, we saw what we're seeing it now. I keep getting ahead of myself. We're not at the finish line quite yet, but uh, you know. Uh, Sean's messaging has been clear and transparent this whole contract campaign and, and you know uh, we've seen the impact and the effect that it, that it's had on our members as well as uh, you know non-union workers and, and them coming out to our rallies I mean we have we had some Amazon workers on our practice picket lines we had some of our you know uh, they got to experience and see you know feel the energy feel the authenticity of it and, and really engage with some of our full-timers from some of our part-timers some of our drivers some of our feeder drivers even you know getting them to chat with the amazon workers and and have that interaction uh you know that that i think is is really what it comes down to at the end of the day that 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 human to human interaction uh really generates that camaraderie and that solidarity Great. Well, thank you guys 
so much for each of those responses for taking all this time to come here and speak with us. Thank you. I just want to say thank you to The Real News. Thank you to the In These Times. And thanks to our audience on this live, live stream. Thanks to all the UPSers out there. Um, I just want to make this quick, what's on my mind. You know, when Ruby Walsh and I started thinking about the upsurge, uh, even just the name of the podcast... Obviously, UPS is in the name of the podcast, but we were wondering, should there be a question mark at the end of the name? Is is this the upsurge that we're looking at? Um, and I think, you know, it's important to be sober about the, you know, have a sober assessment about what's going on. We're not where we should be. Um, and I was talking recently with a friend of the show, Barry Eidlin, about the last time we saw legitimate, incredible labor activity strikes, and that was in the 1970s. The difference was at that time, labor was somewhat on the defensive. Right now, we may be seeing, I think, a smaller upsurge of labor activity, but the difference is we're potentially on an upward trajectory. And it's going to be workers like those on this panel. It's going to be UPSers across the country. It's going to be 160,000 actors, 11,000 uh, you know, WGA members, hotel workers, medieval times workers, workers all over this country that are going to make that upward trajectory and really see the upsurge that... We haven't seen yet, but we'll hopefully see. Hell yeah. Well, I thought that was beautifully put, my man. And uh, to everyone watching, again, thank you for hanging with us for two hours. I hope we answered uh, as many of your questions as we possibly could. Uh, we got to bring Teddy back and do this again when we get close to August 22nd, when we'll know, uh, you know whether or not the Teamsters members are going to accept this tentative agreement. But that is all we've got for you right now. I suggest we all get some rest. And uh, to everyone else watching, like if you are wondering where to channel that energy, there are picket lines all over this country right now. Go find one. Go support the writers. Go support the actors. Go support everyone that we've mentioned over this live stream. They need your help, too. That is where you can channel this energy. So thank you so much for caring. Thank you so much for watching. For everyone here at The Real News Network, this is Maximilian Alvarez signing off. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Solidarity forever.